0: Thank you for making the time change. You didn't get thrown off by springing forward. Nice job. Hey, I want to give you a quick update. We have been talking about giving, um, and it's been the last first couple months of the year have been real encouraging. Um, for those of you don't know, in, in the November, December, we talked about we were really running a deficit, needed 43.5, and we're getting 38.5, and made up a bunch of that over December, end of the year giving. But still, we're maybe just a little bit behind. Well, good news, in, in January, it came in 45,000, and then in February, 40,000. Remember, we missed a Sunday in February, and there was a second one with bad weather, so low attendance. So we're real encouraged by that. So thank you for giving. Um, one of the things we see on our push pay, which is our automated giving, we see that the number of people who are, I don't have names, but we see numbers of people who are giving regularly, that, that number's gone up from 47 to 59. In the last couple months. So that means more and more people are getting involved. Um, yeah, and we're hoping to be an all in church where everybody is, is vested in uh, giving of themselves to um, see the mission go forward. And um, anyway, the first couple months of the year have been encouraging. And, and uh, so thank you for those of you who are giving. For those of you who aren't, if you consider it, uh, just a little bit to be part of an all in group. But uh, I feel like we're moving in a good direction. When the kids were little, we would go to the Omaha Zoo regularly. Um, it's just kind of a world-class zoo and a fun thing. And we were at the gorilla complex, and and there was a gorilla right there, and and I wanted to get the gorilla's attention just so it would look up to 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 look at the boys, our, our boys who were young. So I I just I just tap 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 just a, just a little tap on the on the the glass, even though it said don't tap. I just I wanted my kids to be able to see that. And man, I don't know what I did, but I made the gorilla really mad. I mean, it popped up, and and we took a step back. Fortunately, the glass is pretty thick there, so the gorilla's not coming through. But we triggered the opposition to that gorilla, of that gorilla. And I'm glad there was a a good uh, thickness of glass between us, because if that gorilla come after us, we don't don't stand much of a chance. Uh, You know, we can do that with God, too. We can push and push and push and trigger his opposition. If it's, it's bad with a gorilla, it's worse with God. And I want to I talk about what triggers that opposition today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it, like Gavin said, to Genesis chapter 11, we're going to go through this chapter and, and wrestle with the question, how do, what is it that triggers God's opposition? Because we don't want to do it. We'll see if we can avoid it if we can. As you're turning there, let, let's review what's going on in Genesis. We found out Genesis 1 and 2 that God created. And it took him seven days, and when he got finished, he said, it's good. And, and the last part of the creation was, was humanity, and he created us uniquely in God's image, created us to have a relationship with him. Uh, and Johnny talked about it in Genesis 3. Um, Adam and Eve pushed back. Uh, they fell for the lie of a serpent. You can be your own God. You can call your own shot. And, and that caused a bridge, a break between God and, and people. And so it went, uh, first indication we saw of that was uh, one guy killed his brother. Cain kills Abel. And then um, things went bad from bad to worse. In Genesis 6, it talked about God was sorry. <laughs> they created humanity. And, and he, he brought a flood to judge the earth because it was full of violence and corruption. And he spared one family, Noah and his sons, and and so they've repopulated the earth. So we've been going now, and the generations have been going, and the people are out of the garden, and they've decided uh, they're going to kind of do things on their own. And so that's where we pick it up in Genesis 11. It says, now the whole earth, I'm in verse 1, use the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now, the charge God had given people was to fill the earth, rule the earth, and these folks, now nah, I'm, I'm going to stop here. We're going to band together, and, and this is where problems begin to start. Verse 3, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly, and they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. So they are moving past being strictly a farming community, and technology is starting to develop, and there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with technology. I'm pro-technology until, until it leads people away from God. And so these folks have decided they're going to try and live as if God doesn't exist. And so we see that in verse 4. They said come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Why why do they want to get to heaven? Because they want to get up there and they want to settle things with God that they're in charge and He's not there and that they can run the thing and and that they're good on their own. And let's make for ourselves a name, otherwise we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So, we want autonomy. We want God out of the picture. We want to take charge. And that's the curse, and that's the attitude of humanity. What's the problem when God's out of the picture? We're going to live as if God doesn't exist, and we're going to take charge. Well, there's a a power vacuum. (laughs) If God's not in charge, who is? And there have been lots of people over the course of history who've sought to fill that power vacuum, and it hasn't gone well. So let me just roll back the last 60, 70 years. In communist Russia, Joseph Stalin rose to power. No God in communism, no Bible, no nothing. I Remember I spent the 93-94 school year in Russia. I was in Siberia and people would take tape things. It was an HBO special on Stalin. And I was I watched it while I was in Russia. It was chilling. In one situation he suspected he maybe thought that this group of officers was going to be loyal, uh, disloyal to him. So he had him put in a submarine and, and gave his people order, you just sink that submarine and you drown those people. Just get rid of them because they might be a threat. See, see, when, when humanity's in charge and there's no God and I'm all powerful, I do what I want. And if you're a threat, you're gone. And I don't answer to anybody because I'm in charge. Is this idea of getting rid of God such a good idea? Hitler decided they were the master race. And so everybody, Jews, Poles, were exterminated. We had the Camaroos in Cambodia after the Vietnam War. Most most recently, Kim Jong-un in North Korea. He's all-powerful, and and any opposition is just crushed. There's, there's There's no trial. There's no right of law. You get rid of God. Okay. Who fills the gap? Historically, it hasn't gone well. Our country was created with an understanding of there's a need for God. Thomas Jefferson was the main author of our Declaration of Independence. Now, Jefferson was a deist; he didn't believe that God was involved. God made the world and set it going. And he, if you found a copy of, of um, Jefferson's Bible, he cut out all the supernatural parts. But he did believe that God was a part of it, and God was someone to whom we would answer. And so, in the second declaration, uh, second paragraph in the Declaration of Independence. He wrote this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they were endowed by their what? By their creator. With certain unalienable rights. No one, no human can take those rights because they come from their creator. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There are rights that can't be taken because they're given by the creator. You take the creator out of the picture, well, per- people's rights can be, be stepped on. And we're starting to see inklings of that, in my opinion, in our culture. Fall of 1992, I was working on the campus of the University of Northern Colorado at Greeley and Maryland, Quayle. Wife of President, Vice President Dan Quayle came to speak. It was an election. They were about six weeks out from the election. Now, this is going to be interesting because Marilyn Quayle obviously comes from a more right-wing perspective, and the campus of Greeley is, is more left-wing, and so there might be some interesting dialogue here. So I went to the student center out in the front lawn to hear that, but what happened, I couldn't believe. Every time she tried to speak, there was a bunch of people that just screamed. They wouldn't give her a voice. And what it was saying is, your opinion is so bad, you don't get to get hurt. If there's no God, and I think I'm all-powerful, and your opinion doesn't go with me, shut up. Shut up. And if you try and talk, I'll squelch you. I will not give you the chance to speak. Our country supposedly is founded on the, the free exchange of ideas. That is going away because we are losing sight of God. This idea of getting rid of God, we think, oh, we'll be free. No, I would argue just the opposite. We're losing our freedoms because we're putting God away. And when you go to an extreme, you get what I talked about. So so this idea of humanity, of we're going to get rid of God, it it goes all the way back to the beginning of time. So they're going to build a tower, and they're going to go to the heavens, and they're going to get rid of God. And so verse 5 tells us... uh, the Lord comes down to kind of check things out. Here's what he says The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. So, what's God going to do with that? Well, verse 6 says, The Lord said, Behold, they are one language and they are all the same language, and this is what they begin to do. And now nothing which they propose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. God's not going to let it happen. He's going to put it down. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of the whole earth and from the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. God says, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to let it happen. I've, I've got a plan for this. So here's my question Since it's so destructive, and so the Lord isn't behind it, where does this idea of humanity come to get rid of God? Where where does it stem from? Well, in um, Isaiah 14, Isaiah is speaking of the king of Babylon in verses 13 through 15. But many scholars think this has a, a meaningful fulfillment for the king of Babylon, and it also has a fulfillment for Satan. Here's what these verses read. Isaiah 14, 13 and 14 says this. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of my assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud, I will make myself like the most high. Now that's spoken of the king of Babylon, but most scholars think there's a, there's a dual fulfillment and it, it talks about Satan. Satan was a created beating, an angel, and he rebelled. And he said, you know what? I am going to make myself like God, and in the garden, that's the very appeal He made to Adam and Eve. You don't have to listen to God; you can be your own God. He says, "Don't you can eat of all the trees, but don't eat that one. Go ahead, eat of it. Don't let Him tell you what to do. You're in charge." That's the appeal that Satan makes, and we've fallen for it—hook, line, and sinker—and we think we're better off for it, and we're not. So so what happens to these people, this angel and this king and these people that rebel against God? Here's what verse 15 says, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. God will put this down one day for good. So, So we're wrestling with this question, what triggers God's opposition? Here's what I say. Any human plan to make a name for ourselves apart from God. Any human plan to think we will make a name for ourselves, individually or corporately, will make a name for ourselves apart from God. God says, that ain't happening. I'm going to put that down. And the degree to God allows us to live out our rebellion is the degree to which we suffer. But in the end, God will say no, and He will come back and He will set up His kingdom for good. So when I went to college, it was a different day. We had all same gender dorms, all men, all women, and there were visiting hours. From Sunday to Thursday, opposite gender had to be out by 10, and if you got caught, you got written up. Friday and Saturday, it was one thirty; had to be out by one thirty. So we decided, as part of the dorm council my sophomore year, you know what, we want to change that, that that just needs to change, so we, uh, we just wanted. to... 24-hour visitation for weekend. So Friday, be in all night if you want. Saturday, you'll be all night, and you had to be out by Sunday. So we, took, we wrote a resolution, and we had a vote, and we put it through the dorm council, and man, it was 100%. People were on board. And so I don't know who it was. The president of the dorm council took it to the next step up in housing. You know what the guy in housing said? No, we're not doing that. Man, we just, man, we, do you understand? We took a vote, and we took a resolution, and, and you know, we, we pay, and no, no, really, it's our parents that pay. But, but you know, and, and the guy said, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I don't care. We're, we're not doing that. Just, just like that, the administration at Texas a said, no, we're not going that way. That ain't the story. There were no more discussion. In the end, you know, this plan of humanity that we're just going to do our own thing and we're going to go our own way and we're going to make our own name apart from God, in in the end, God says, no, no, no. not. that's not going to happen. We're not going to go that way. In the inner, between the time God comes back, He allows us the freedom to make our own choices. And as a people, we tend to choose to rebel against God. And many of us think humanity can pull it off ourselves. W.H. Auden was one of those people. He was a 20th century Pulitzer Prize winning poet. And in the early 1940s, he went to uh, see a a Nazi propaganda film. It was being shown in the United States. It was called The Psyche of Poland. And it was about how the Nazis had conquered Poland. So he, he went just to see it. And they said it was in the audience... And they would show people on the screen, Polish people brought forth under a German guard. And the German people in the audience would scream, Kill him, kill him, simply because he was Polish. And Auden walked out of that theater with this question What response can my enlightened humanistic tradition give to this evil? to those who cry out for the blood of innocent victims. And that began his journey to God, and he became a Christian. He left humanism, became a follower of Jesus, because he understood without God, we'll kill ourselves, we'll consume ourselves. And see, as, as a people without God, we can say to a race, or we can say to a socioeconomic class, or we can say to a certain gender, you don't have value. But you can't say that if you hear the gospel message. Because the gospel message says every person was created in God's image. Every person rebelled against God. Every person was so valued by God that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for every human being. He lived the life we were supposed to live. And according to the plan of God, he died on the cross and he rose again because human life has value. It has dignity. And that's the belief we have. And that's why we recognize God Almighty. Boy, if you've never trusted Christ, I want to invite you to do that. That'll restore your relationship with God. It'll bring you back into right relationship with Him. It'll change your heart. You'll live the way you were designed to live, under the direction and leadership of your Creator. You know, as a church, one of our core values is people matter to God, and we're going to reach out to every person. That flows from from this God who cares so much about people. Would you say, Andy, you've talked about it. There's people, there's leaders going on, there's pockets, there's nations who are rebelling against God. Are they getting their way? Here's what Psalm 2, 2 through 4 says. The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointing saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. How does God respond to that? Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. These human leaders who think somehow they're going to get rid of God and wipe, it. God laughs. God is in sovereign control of everything that is going on. Philip Yancey talked about, he's an author, he said, I, I was a chess player and I love to play chess. And one time I sat down to play with a grandmaster. I thought I was pretty good and I got schooled. And what I found out is anything I did, this grandmaster used to um, Bring about my demise. I I could move any any piece, any place. He was so in control of the board, he just used that to, to work out his purposes, was to put me in checkmate. So God works through the rulers of the world who reject him. He's in control, working the chessboard to bring out his purposes. So we've talked about the tendency out there corporately to rebel against God, to try and make a name for ourselves apart from God. Let's talk about it individually. How about you and me? How about Andy giving this sermon? Are you seeking to make a name for yourself or are you seeking to forward the name of Jesus? How about you on your job, you with your kids, you in your neighborhood? Do you want to know how great you are or how great he is? Here's the deal. If we're going to try and make a name for ourselves, we might last a generation or two, and then we. God. Our kids hopefully will remember us, maybe our grandkids, but beyond that, not much. Uh, this week I was taking my son to work and I passed College View Cemetery at the corner of um, Pioneers and Seventieth. And I saw it since like 1891. So I got online, found out about College View Seminary, uh, Cemetery, and, and I found out the first guy that was interned was a guy named Joseph Sutherland in 1891. And I'll bet I'm um, There were some family who were sad that Joseph died. But how many people do you think have visited Joseph's grave in the last 50 or 100 years? I I, I don't know, but I'm guessing not many. Because after a generation or two, even though he was beloved, forgotten. So if you or I are trying to make a name for ourselves, we're not going to last very long but if we want to give ourselves to a name that will last, let me recommend the name of Jesus. It's been 2,000 years, and he's still going strong. And, And it's not by accident. It's not, oh, just chance. Here's what Paul said in the book of Philippians about the name of Jesus. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him, him being Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of the God the Father. And that that name's going to last. So if we want to be involved with something eternal, something that matters, let's get on board with Jesus. Because that name, man, your name, my name, ain't going to last. It's, it's a generation or two, and it goes. Think about the former presidents that are still alive. Jimmy Carter's still alive. George Bush's still alive. Bill Clinton's still alive. And Barack Obama's still alive. You know, there was a time every one of those men was in the news cycle every day. What do you hear about them? Not much. Hey, we've moved on. From 1984 to 1996, I was an NBA fan. Man, Michael Jordan, man, he ruled the deal. He was, he was the name. Michael Jordan's name just came past it came up because he just got passed up by LeBron James. We've moved on. We went from Jordan to Kobe. Now we're to LeBron, and, and who's next? I don't know. We're, we're, we're a culture that cycles names and cycles people. They go. We're, we're trying to make a name for ourselves. It ain't going to happen. Want to attach ourselves to a name that's going to last? Let me recommend the name of Jesus. He's eternal. He's lasted 2,000 years, and God says... Throughout eternity, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is confessed that he is the Lord. The rest of our chapter is a a genealogy of uh, Shem. He was one of the sons of Noah. And I'm not going to read through it all, but I want to read one set of verses. It's 27 through 30 of chapter 11, and here's what it says. Now, these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham, Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Sarai was barren, and she had no children. Abram and Sarai are going to move front and center as we transition. The first 11 chapters of Genesis have been the story of God's creation of humanity's rebellion. No, we're going to go our own way. And it's been disastrous. Violence and corruption. Chapter 12 is going to begin the story of God reinserting himself into the human story. And he's going to take this guy Abram, just a regular dude, and his wife Sarai, who is barren and can have no children. And going to do a work through him. He's going to build a nation through them. And he's going to say, I want to use this people to make people realize, I'm alive, I'm well, I'm worth trusting. And out of this couple, Abram and Sarai, is going to be the genealogy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God is at work. And there is a transition here. God is reinserting himself. We've tried to make a name ourselves apart from God, and it's disastrous. It has resulted in pain and violence and corruption. That's much of the story of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. We're going a different way. Chapter 12, God's getting, He's going to re-engage with people, and He's going to make Himself known through a family and through a nation, and ultimately through His Son, Jesus Christ. 1997 was a kind of a banner year in the National Football League because of a uh, running back named Barry Sanders. He broke the the barrier of of 2,000 yards in a season. Only six people have done that. Most consider Sanders the most gifted running back to ever play. At the end of the season, Barry Sanders did something interesting. His five offensive linemen, tackle, guard, center, guard, tackle, and then a couple of tight ends, he paid... For those guys and their wives to go to Hawaii, on on, on his dime, he did that. And then he also bought each one of them a 24 karat gold bracelet with the Lions logo on it, and the number's 2,053, because that's the amount of yards he got. So why did he choose those men and their wives to pour out this kind of favor on? Because those men are the reason he got 2,053 yards he was a gifted back. You ever seen him run? He could stop. He could break your ankle. Stop and start in a dime cut. But for all the gifting he has, if those guys aren't blocking for him, if those guys aren't clearing the way, Barry ain't getting out of the backfield. And he recognized the one who gave him the platform or the people who gave him the platform to run. It's a legitimate thing. With the money he's making, he had it. If that's true of a running back with his offensive lineman, and his tight ends. How much more would the God who gave us life, who created us, and who gave us breath, would we not recognize him? Not with a trip to Hawaii, not with a 24 karat gold bracelet, but with our lives, with our whole being, would we recognize him? And when we don't, it triggers God's opposition. I pray, individually and corporately, we wouldn't be living out those consequences, but we embracing and willingly recognizing and submitting to this one who gave us life. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful uh, for this reminder of the human tendency to ignore you, to try and make a name for ourselves apart from you. God, forgive us. Individually and corporately, forgive us. And I pray that we would come to our senses and, and hitch ourselves with the name that's going to last forever. That's the name of Jesus. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. I pray we get on board with that name. And it's his name I pray, amen.